It was July 30, 2023, just weeks after the military coup in Niger. The army supporters gathered at the French embassy in Niamey, hundreds of them. They set fire to the embassy's door. They also burned the French flag. Back in Paris, President Emmanuel Macron was spooked. He ordered a full evacuation. Around 600 French nationals lived in this country. All of them were pulled out. This military coup is definitely anti-democracy, but it's also anti-French. All symbols of France have been targeted, their embassy, their flag, and also their military base. But why the animosity? And why towards France and not other countries? The answer lies in Niger's history. In fact, the history of West Africa. This region was colonized by France from the late 19th century. They became independent after the Second World War. But unlike other colonizers, France never left. Their influence and presence continued to linger. Why is that? Time for a flashback. Let's begin from the 16th century. That's when France became interested in Africa. The reason was slaves. The French were the third biggest slave traders. They took around 1.3 million Africans to their colonies in the Americas. Around 200,000 people never made it. They perished at sea. As the slave trade developed, France needed ports. They got one in 1659 here in St. Louis in Senegal. For a long time, French interests were limited to coastal Africa. The interiors were untouched. But in the 19th century, that changed. There were two reasons for that. One was the domestic rivalry back home. The European powers were already competing with each other. Africa became a new theater. And reason number two was resources. Europe needed to feed its expanding industries. They zeroed in on this area. It was called the Gold Coast. There was gold, oil, and much more there. The French expansion began from Senegal. In 1854, General Louis Feder was appointed governor. He quickly got down to business. Under his rule, French control was extended to Gambia. But his ambitions were bigger. He wanted to conquer the Niger Delta and Mali. His government was not so keen, though. They thought it would be too expensive, so the expansion project was paused. It would resume in the 1880s. This was the beginning of the scramble for Africa. No shadow wars anymore. European armies were marching across the continent. They were picking off countries one by one. This inevitably led to fighting between European powers. So the German chancellor proposed a plan. This man, Otto von Bismarck, he brought all the European countries together in Berlin. In 1885, these countries signed the Berlin Act. It formalized the scramble for Africa, and the logic was quite simple. Instead of fighting each other, let's carve up the continent. Each country gets its own colony. And no, the Africans were not consulted. In the 1880s, almost 80% of the continent was ruled by the locals, kings, sultans, and tribal chiefs. By 1900, it was flipped. Around 90% of Africa was colonized by Europe, and Niger was part of this. In 1899, two French officers were put on the job. Captain Paul Volet would lead this mission. And his second in command was Julien Chanoine. Both men had one thing in common, their bloodlust. They set off from Dakar in Senegal. Their job was this, explore Chad and Niger, gather local intelligence, reach the Sudan and return. Basically create this ribbon of French territory from Senegal in the west to the Sudan in the east. Captain Volet had a reputation he led the French conquest of Burkina Faso in 1896. He was ambitious and brutal. 
His expedition to the Sudan is called Many Things, The Killer Trail, The African Apocalypse, The Heart of Darkness. Gives you an idea of what went down. It was one of the most violent and bloody episodes in colonial history, not just in Africa, but the whole world. Boulay's mission was not well funded, so at the first village he reached, he demanded porters. He needed people to carry things. When the locals denied, he raised the entire village, around 100 people, wiped out. It was a sign of things to come. Boulay often refused to feed his camp followers. When they complained, he killed them. Men, women and children were bayoneted to death, not shot, bayoneted, because Boulay wanted to save bullets. Such massacres followed him everywhere. It was so bad that word reached the French government in Paris. Boulay's own soldiers were horrified by the violence. Some of them deserted. When Paris got to know, they ordered Voulet and Chanoan to be arrested. They deputed a French officer from Mali. He followed the expedition's trail to catch them. What he saw was blood-curdling. At one village, around 1,000 corpses had been left in the open. Bodies of young girls were hanging from trees. People were terrified by the French flag. It was a sign of impending death. The bid to arrest Voulet and Chanoan did not work. In the end, both were killed by their own soldiers, but the mission continued. French troops marched through the Sahara and secured the region. Their African project was complete. It looked like this. A federation of eight territories. Mauritania, Senegal, Mali, Guinea, Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, Benin and Niger. The capital was Dakar. This whole region was called French West Africa. Fun fact. It was eight times bigger than European France. So how did they control it? The same way they captured it, using brute force. France did face rebellions in the first decades after the conquest, like the Tuareg Rebellion of 1916. The Tuaregs are an ethnic group living in the Saharas. In Niger, they live in the country's north. When the Tuaregs rebelled, France crushed them. Summary executions were the norm. It was through these crackdowns that Paris held on to its colonies. Many of them fought wars for France. Around two and a half million Africans were part of the First World War. Another one million in the Second World War. These people were not French citizens, they were French subjects. And that equation changed only after the Second World War. In 1946, Niger, along with other colonies, became overseas territories. They got seats in Parliament and with elections, Became political parties. The most important one was the PPN, the Progressive Party of Niger. Two men came to dominate this party, the radical Jibo Bakari and the moderate Hamani Diori. They were cousins, also rivals. An important moment came in 1958. France had adopted a new constitution. Its colonies now had to vote on it, sort of like a referendum. If Niger passed it, the country would remain in the French community. The cousin politicians chose different sides. The radical Bakari called for a boycott. But Diori said, let's vote yes. He did not want independence yet. He wanted more autonomy within France and he prevailed in 1958. Around 72% of Niger's citizens voted to approve the constitution. He also became the new president. But the tide was slowly shifting. Dissent was growing in parts of Niger, especially the northern deserts. So in 1960, France had to give in. They agreed to grant independence to Niger. Diori was elected president again. He banned all other parties, cracked down on rivals, and ruled like an autocrat. Now, normally the story would end here. But in West Africa, it does not. France began acting like a toxic ex, hanging around too much, 
or meddling for no reason. This policy has a name too, France-Afrique, a sphere of French influence in West Africa. It was the brainchild of this man, former French President Charles de Gaulle. He asked his advisors to build up France-Afrique in 1962. And how did they do that? By building personal networks, France propped up leaders, often dictators in West Africa. They gave them military support, a little aid, and a whole lot of French glamour. What did they get in return? Resources and influence. More than 1,000 French companies operate in West Africa. They have the third biggest investments. First is America, second is Britain. They also have soldiers there. France has deployed 3,000 troops in Africa. Around half of them are in Niger. Their job is to fight terror groups, but you can see why this is problematic. Imagine Britain stationing soldiers in India. Terrorism or not, it's an affront. From the 1980s, French presidents have promised to dilute France-Afrique. Macron has done so too, but their actions suggest the opposite. I have some trivia for you. 14 countries in Africa use the same currency. It's called the CFA franc. It was created back in 1945, before African independence. But even today, 14 countries use it. And I'll tell you how it works. West African countries deposit 50% of their reserves at the French Treasury. In return, they can use the CFA franc. Its value is pegged to the euro. France says the currency brings stability to West Africa, but it also brings trauma, the trauma of a colonial past. The CFA franc is often called monetary servitude. It is one of the many reminders of French colonialism. Now you know why people in Niger dislike France. They plundered and razed entire villages, raped and mutilated women and children, imposed a colonial currency on them, and most importantly, refused to leave. France is a strange case. Most countries are blamed for their colonial policies, but France is also blamed for its post-colonial policies. Of course, that does not justify the coup, but it does explain why a lot of people support it. President Macron has always had a taste for foreign policy. He wants to leave a mark on the world. Maybe this is it. He could be the president who destroyed France-Afrique. Mali has moved away from French influence, so has Burkina Faso and now Niger. He may not have intended it, but that could be his legacy.